Welcome to the Landing Bay 04, where today, yet some more of my favorite TTRPG, Starforged, coming up. Okay, this one is going to be the one about moves, the move system, what the apocalypse or powered by the apocalypse system is based on a system I have never heard of. Oh, okay, I have heard of it, but I've never really seen it or seen it really implemented before. So this is the one that gave me the most problems because I just couldn't figure it out for the first six moves that I made. Then afterward, it was pretty easy, and now it's just, my goodness, the, the system is so genius, it just makes the game flow so much better. So, that's what we're going to talk about in this episode, is the move system, because this is really the core framework of how the game works, okay? So, to put simply, the move system is really all of your roles that you use your checks on, so like your perception check, your combat check your persuasion role. All those things are tied up in moves, but also the things that are tied up in your moves are things that help propel your story forward, help you to complete your quests, help you to progress on your quests, but also as a way to talk to NPCs. All of it is wrapped up in your moves. So how does it all work in the first place? Well, thankfully, Starforged has you covered there with a fantastic flowchart. Now there's a couple of flowcharts. The first one is a really simple one. It's only got three things. One, you start with your fiction. Two, you go into uh, your action role on a move. And then three, you end with the fiction and then you loop back to start with the fiction. So what do I mean by fiction? It's really just envisioning, there's that word again, it's really envisioning what your character is doing and that's it. So things could include your armored up character is walking into a cantina and looks around and sees that there are very few patrons and there's your bounty at a table already being harassed by what appears to be other rival bounties trying to get in and collect. That's the fiction. Now, how do you as the character respond to it? Do you confront them outright? Or do you just go to the bar and ignore them and wait for the perfect opportunity to strike? That's up to you. And as you continue to resolve the scene, as you think about what your character is doing, what's going on, how other characters are reacting to your own, then it may prompt a move. So it could be you're talking to a bartender and you need to get some additional information. Well, you could just resolve a conversation there by rolling on the oracle to tell you how the NPC responds. Or if you want to go a step further and make a connection with that person and perhaps having them become a reoccurring person in your campaign or maybe an irregular person in your campaign 
but someone who's important enough that you may want to refer to again and again, then you can attempt to make a connection. Well, there you go. Now you've triggered a move, which is to make a connection with this bartender. So you roll and you figure out how it all turns out. Then after that's done, you interpret the role, then you envision, there's that word again, then you envision how your character reacts to it or is in control of that situation. And then that's how you end with the fiction. And then you loop back to now what does your character do next? Now, if you didn't catch that already, that was basically the introductory scene of The Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 1. But that's how you can start to envision what your character is doing at that time. Uh, triggering a move, resolving the move, and then moving forward to the next one. Now, for those of you that want a min-max out there, this is not what this is about. Because you don't want to just focus on, well, how do I trigger the next move so I can move on? That is not the, I would say air quotes the best way to play the game or in air quotes the correct way to play it's more of a narrative game so you envision again think about what your character is doing in the situation seeing how you want to respond or interact with the world and don't worry about the moves because eventually they're going to come up and it's going to come up naturally so don't get so hung up around well i want to make this move so i'm just going to do it or worrying about well, I just want to trigger move so I can move the story forward. No, 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 no. You want to immerse yourself in the story, take your time with it, really think about what's going on, and then when the time comes, which again, naturally it'll come up, then you trigger the move. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But first, we got to figure out how the moves are done. Like, how do you resolve them in the first place? Well, you use what's called an action roll. So the action roll is basically your skill check roll. So no more of this calculating what is your to hit chance. No more of separating out your uh, threats versus advantages, your successes versus your failures, and then interpreting the dice that way. It is three dice. You have your d6, which is your action roll, and that's based on your skill. So let's say you were in that situation talking to a bartender and trying to make a connection with them. Well, you would typically roll with heart, which again, heart in the last episode, we had talked about how that's more of empathy with other people, your social ability with other people, uh, how easy it is for you to form a connection with somebody else. It's just a social game, okay? So let's say that's the main thing that you want to do is make connections. So you assign that as a three. So you roll a d6 and you add heart, okay? So let's say you roll a four you add three, so that's seven. Okay? Now, you have two d10s that you roll along with the d6. So the d10s are your challenge die. That's the roll that you have to beat. And if you beat one of those challenge die, it's a weak hit. If you beat both challenge die, then that is a strong hit. And if they match and you beat both die, well, it's a strong hit with a match, which means an exceptional good thing happens. Now, on the reverse, if you do not beat both of the challenge die, well, that's a miss. But then if you don't beat both the challenge die and the challenge die are matching numbers, well, then that's, you know, a miss with a match, which that is something exceptionally bad happens. And that's the basics. See how easy that is? No more of this calculating, figuring out what, what the challenge is for the, the die to hit, what, what roll you got to beat. None of that. It's just, it's all within one roll. 
and it just happens on the fly. So great, so genius. Now the wording was really careful in there. It has to beat both challenge die. So that d6 plus your stat value has to beat the challenge die, the d10s, okay? If you roll a six and you know your uh, the stat that you're adding, the stat value is a two, that's an eight. So that means if your challenge die comes up as an eight, well, it doesn't beat it. So that means, you know, that could be either a potential weak hit or a potential miss. Make sense? Okay, moving on. Because this is where momentum comes into play. As you make your moves, you will start to gain momentum. And the momentum, once it is high enough for you, because you want to save it as much as possible for when, it, when things come in clutch, uh, the thing is with momentum, you replace your challenge die plus the stats to your momentum. So let's say your momentum is a 9. You roll your d6, it's a 1, and your stat value is also a 1, so that's a 2. But your momentum is at a 9. You could reset your momentum back to whatever the reset value is and replace your uh, action die with your momentum. So in that case, it would be a 9. So now your action die roll is a 9. Now you can only burn momentum when or after your your die roll. Okay, so it's not like, well, I have to burn momentum now and just hope to see what happens. Nope, you roll, and if the roll isn't looking good, then you can burn your momentum, give you a nice little advantage, maybe turn a weak hit into a strong hit, or maybe turn a miss into a weak hit. Now mechanically, that's just how moves work. So the flow chart for that one is, now you want to envision what's going on with your character. When the time comes, you trigger a move, you go through that move, and each move will describe what it's used for. After you do the move, if it's a strong hit, weak hit, or miss, then it's what do you do next, or how do you react. So let's say a strong hit, really a strong hit basically means that you are in control of the narrative. So whatever you want to happen next, that's what's going to happen until the next move, or you know what you want to do with it. Uh, on a weak hit or a miss, that basically means you're not really in control of the situation, but at least on a weak hit, you accomplish what you set out to do. And on a miss, well, things aren't going your way at all. So then you have to wonder, well, how does my character deal with that change of a situation or what's going on? And if you can't answer that, well, guess what? The oracles will help you to get a better idea of what's going on or how the situation is developing. And then from there, you can re-envision your character reacting to the situation. But right from the get-go, that might just trigger another move for you to make. Now that is just in a nutshell what moves are and how they work. But the thing that you may not know is that in the rules reference guide, there's a whole bunch of different moves that you can do. And we're going to get into some of those. So first off, there is an optional set of moves that you can make, which are session moves for when you begin the session. Uh, if you need to take a break from how intense the thing is going for you, and you may need to just step away for a minute. Or when you end a session, it just gives you a little couple of things to, uh, to think about. But that one, again, is optional. And the ones that, that you're going to use the most are going to be in uh, some of the other categories, like adventure moves, combat moves, exploration moves, uh, refresh, oh, what is it, uh, recover moves, harm moves, um, uh, connection moves, and uh, quest moves. 
but we're just going to touch base on a couple of these and you're going to see how these these things work so let's say for adventure moves now why would you use adventure moves well within that subcategory there's a couple of things that you can trigger so like face face danger which uh, that's when something crazy is starting to develop something a little dangerous maybe something a little bit risky that you want to try perhaps you're trying to sneak into a facility undetected that could be a face danger uh, you could secure an advantage. Are you casing a place to plan a heist? Or are you surveying a battlefield, a potential battlefield, and wondering the best tactics to use in order to entrap your enemy or to force your enemy in a funnel? Well, that could be a secure advantage. You're trying to figure out what the best way to do is to, you know, get a leg up on the competition or a leg up on your enemy. Another one is to gather information. This one kind of covers researching things, investigating uh, a crime scene, or analyzing a little bit of evidence that you found on an adventure. It's one of those things. That would be like a gather information move. Uh, a compel move is like your persuasion, uh, your charm, or if you're trying to swindle somebody in a deal or trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Right, so that's a compel move. Uh, another one which you may not be using a lot, which is Aid Your Ally. That one uh, covers, I would imagine, group play, because with NPCs they don't really help you too, too much, and you can't really help them too, too much uh, when it comes to combat or doing uh, other social things, for the most part, for the most part. Uh, and then one of the last ones is uh, to check your gear. And this one is a move that you use to figure out if you have a particular piece of specific equipment to help you on your adventure. Now, in the previous episode, we had talked about your character, assuming that they have all the basic necessities, food, water, and whatever is appropriate to the paths that you chose. But let's say it's something a little bit outside of your path and something that's a little unorthodox when it comes to figuring out how to do something, or maybe you need a bit of equipment. Let's say you need a speeder or a hovercraft or a skiff to get out to that location, and it's not in your assets. Uh, you may have to do a check your gear move to figure out if you might have something on hand or if you know somebody who has something. So as you can start to imagine, you can really be super flexible with how the moves work within the adventure that you're having. So let's return back to that initial example where you're in a cantina, you're talking to a bartender, you see someone who could potentially be the bounty, that mark that you've been looking for. So you want to ask them if if that's the person that you're looking for, if they know if that's the person that you're looking for, or perhaps something along those lines, maybe you have an, a general idea of, of the bounty that you're looking for, their physical description, what they look like, uh, what kind of things are they doing, the reputation they have. You may ask the bartender if the bartender knows anything. So that could fall under the gather information under the adventure move instead of under uh, making a connection with somebody. You just want to get some information from them, right? Make sense? So you get your action roll together, you know you roll plus wits, and on a strong hit, you know you figure out something super helpful, super specific, you figure out, hey, maybe this is the guy that you're looking for and they just clarified it for you or confirmed it for you, and then envision exactly what it is you learn in order to come to that conclusion. And if you can't envision what's going on or how or what kind of information they give to you, you can roll on the oracle, on the descriptor, and the focus to figure out exactly what they're talking about. So let's assume just that. Maybe it's a strong hit. So let's figure out 
what kind of information they gave. So I'm going to roll on the descriptor and the focus. So uh, what came up for the descriptor and the focus was uh, expansive dimension. Now I had to look up the definition of dimension uh, real quick just to see what was going on and uh, immediately I came up with something. So I came up with the idea that uh, whoever the bounty was, not only did they fit the description of the initial bounty, or I don't know how to even explain that, but anyway, on top of that uh, initial description, physical description, uh, the person or the bartender confirms that it's them, but also that uh, they are quite large and round of a person. So there you go. Expansive dimension, they're just a big dude, right? Okay, so that's on a strong hit to gather information. And then you take two momentum, add that to your to your track. So, with that information, it then becomes clear what you would need to do next to collect on that bounty. Now, what about a weak hit? Now, a weak hit, the information that you get gives you some insight as to what's going on, but also there's a complication that's in the way, and you have to envision what you discover. So even if we use the same thing, expansive dimension could be the same thing, uh, the person is a little bit large, but what's the complication? Well, if you go to the miscellaneous oracles, there is a story complication. So I, I would tend to roll on that to give an idea, but if you already have an idea in mind, perfect. If not, and you need just a little push as to where to go, I roll on the story complication, and it comes up that someone important is threatened or endangered. So right there, you can already envision what's going on. The people that are already there trying to collect on the bounty are trying to get him out, or perhaps they, instead of taking him in alive, they're going to take him in uh, dead, right? So he's worth more alive, and you want to intervene as quickly as possible, which then could trigger a combat, right? So that would be on a miss. And then you, instead of taking two momentum, you would take one momentum. And then on a miss, the investigation or the information that you give get uh, either reveals some dire truth or that it reveals something that's unwelcome or something that undermines the quest. So in this case, um, expansive dimension, if you want to continue with that one, uh, to investigate a, a dire truth or something that's uh, not very good, perhaps uh, what immediately comes to mind, the person that you're looking for perhaps isn't there at the cantina. Uh, it was just a person that looks like that, uh, the target that you're going for. But instead, you may find that uh, this person not only owns the bar, but also owns the settlement that's in there. And finding him is going to be near impossible because everybody that you talk to is not going to give any information as to where they're at. So it may take a little bit longer for you to track down that bounty. See how easy that is? And that, that last part was on the top of my head, okay? Just so we're clear. There's no edits there. None. So then from there, you can then start to envision how the bartender reacts to that question, perhaps scared. Um, you can see that they're giving you information, but uh, it's reluctant. And the information they give you is just that. You know, that they own everything, and now it complicates the whole deal. Uh, maybe this Bounty Hunter 2, in way of complication is the one that's funding everything there. So they're also paying the employees there. They're paying everybody there. So maybe they kind of want this guy to stick around a little bit because, you know, they get paid for it. Well, all these different ideas can start to come into your head as you make these action rolls. You 
interpret the result, and then you then envision what you would do next as the character. And again, that's just taking one move, step by step by step, uh, within the Adventure Moves section. Now again, there's several other sections, so we'll pick another one, and we'll do another exercise. So in this next exercise, we're going to talk about uh, combat moves, because I know that's what people are wondering the most. How does combat work? Well, let's say, for instance, we're going to keep that same scene in mind, or we could change the scene, but just for the sake of time and keeping the flow going, we'll just keep the same scene of being in the bar. Perhaps uh, your target, the bounty, is being threatened by somebody else, and they're about to take him in dead, and you want to make sure that he gets captured alive. So you intervene. And at that point, it is an enter the fray move, okay? Because uh, in enter the fray, you know, you do it when you initiate combat or are forced into a fight. That's the trigger. So as you start to envision that scene and you're like, oh, I think there's some, some combat coming up because uh, they're about to take this guy out and I need him alive. Well, there you go. You initiate combat then and there. And then you have a couple of options. Now, you can min-max your your selection because in that combat move to enter the fray this is like you know combat's about to begin and you're about to get into the thick of it so it could be you're on the move you're trying to run and stop them perhaps uh, forcing them to lower their weapons or to take weapons out of their hands or to uh, move the weapons out of the way uh, you can do it that way on the move i mean again that's just me envisioning how this would go down uh, it could be you're facing off against your foe, which, if you're a gunslinger, guess what? It triggers your gunslinger uh, ability. So you could do it that way. Or you could do the in the thick of it, which is uh, getting in in close quarters and taking them out. Maybe you're like that uh, kind of a dune kind of setting where swords are uh, still like one of the best weapons out there to get through the shields, the personal shields. So you get up uh, close and personal and you do it that way. Uh, you can prepare to act against them by just playing it cool and trying to catch them off guard uh, or it could be the complete opposite where they then notice you and then they come up to you and try to trap you in on either side so then you can size up the situation with your wits to figure out a way to weasel yourself out okay so those are the, the things uh, to, to kind of help you get an idea of how to enter into the fray so you can roll edge heart Iron, Shadow, and Wits. And what do you know? That's all five of the characteristics. And what I can say, or when I said about the min-maxing, you could just choose the one that fits your character best. You know, ah, well, I'm the highest in edge, so obviously I'm going to go with speed. I'm going to be on the move. Or what if you envision the scenario and it's a little bit different and it doesn't quite fit with your character's best stat. And it goes with something like heart where you're facing off against your foe, but you have like a heart value of one. Now, of course, you could redo the scene and make it fit to where you're rolling edge or somehow fit it in, or you can keep it with the theme of what's going on in the scene that you're envisioning and just roll with heart anyway and see how it turns out. So me personally, I would just take whatever's going on. So if it's rolling heart and heart is not a very high stat, I'm still gonna do it because that's what the situation calls for, right? Even if my character isn't that great at it and he's forced into a fight, well, there's nothing he can do about it but try to react in the best way and hope it works out, right? So that's my personal thing, which is to not change the narrative. I mean, you can totally do it if you want to, but for me, it's like, oh, not, not really because I don't want to uh, be that min-maxer that has to do the best 
thing every single time. Because guess what? Just like in kind of real life, you can't you can't do that. Uh, I know it's a bit of a fiction in there to you know make a, a, a fantastical story about your character, but I also kind of want to make it feel a little realistic, a little immersive. Uh, you know, mistakes can be made, and again, that's where a lot of the fun comes from, is failing. Failing is fun in this game, and when you make a game where failing is fun, well, guess what? You're going to be hooked. So, uh, that's that's one way that you can do it. And same thing, once you roll your action roll, you don't want a strong hit, you have some uh, options. You can take some momentum, and you can take control of the situation in combat. Now, that's on a strong hit, you take both those things. On a weak hit, you are forced to choose one or the other. You either take some momentum, hopefully it works out later, or you are in control of the combat and then you move on to the next thing. And then on a miss, uh, combat begins in a bad spot. Now combat is a topic all on its own, but put simply, you use a progress track. If you look in the uh, play kit, you'll see a whole page that's dedicated to just those progress tracks. And you can use project progress tracks for many different things, one of which is combat. So you assign how dangerous this bit of combat is gonna be. So in this example of being in a cantina full of people with only maybe a couple of antagonists, if you will, that could be a troublesome, or if there are a couple more enemies in there, uh, you could bump it up to a, a dangerous. You know, it's up to you on how the situation plays out and how you determine uh, how dangerous this is gonna be. I mean, it could be the entire cantina is against you, and it could still be a troublesome if you just want to, I don't know, run away, or you feel like you've got the situation in hand and you can get away. But in, in any case, use the progress tracks. So, uh, and combat has two states. There's no initiative. Fantastic, fantastic move here. There's no initiative. You only are in control of combat, or you're not. And if you're in control of combat, you can do things like attack or strike, or you can uh, try to gain ground, or in a way, or gain ground is kind of like uh, getting an advantage or fleeing the scene. Okay, and uh, with all of these things, when you make a weak hit or a strong hit, you'll mark on the progress track. Again, I'll go over progress tracks in a later uh, tutorial, but just to keep things simple, that's how combat works. And then, uh, so that's only if you're in control, you can do some certain things. And if you're out of control of the situation, then you're also limited to the moves that you can make in there. And from there, it's just kind of like picking either what fits the narrative best or what you think uh, is the coolest option or what you're most interested in. Uh, you can pick that way. But yeah, that's that's combat in a, in a nutshell. Super simple, not too bad, and those are the moves that are in there. And a quick overview on the threshold moves. These are the moves that uh, if you're in a super bad spot, like you're about to die, or you're so out of supplies that you're just gonna become so poor and have so much despair, uh, or actually, no, that would be spirit, I think. Spirit is like, you're broken and at the edge of despair and you're just gonna be lost. Uh, or there's overcome destruction where your ship is about to blow up or that hover bike that you got is about to blow up. You know, do you survive? And uh, what are the after effects of that? But then again, those are the only ones that are at the at the end of at the end of it all, uh, where you're about to just completely lose. Uh, but my favorite move set is the recover moves, just because this is the one that kind of lends itself to make connections and to bond with a community. 
like the sojourn you can use that move to basically have a montage scene of hanging out with a community or at a space station or on a colony ship or on a huge ship with a ton of crew where you can heal you can hearten which is kind of like raise your spirits uh, to resupply or to repair your ship and there are also subset rules that are in each one of those on when you can take those but really it's pretty easy to envision if you go to uh, a healer to heal some of your wounds or you're in a bazaar and you're looking for food water uh, or some other kind of supplies to go on your next adventure and it's the same thing you know on a strong hit it'll give you options to choose from and you are to envision how that happens or a weak hit or a miss it'll give you a peril that you need to face which there are oracles to generate those uh, or uh, you know the the miss that uh, or not the miss the weak hits that you get what you need but there's a consequence to it so like on a sojourn like if you do a uh, what do you call it? if you do a weak hit not a weak hit if you do a miss uh, not only do you not get the relief that you need in order to heal or to raise your spirits but you also have to swear an iron vow which is basically a quest generates from that failure and the community needs you to do something instead so like I said even failure produces interesting results so let's say you're at a space station, you're looking for some supplies, and they say, well, we'll give you the supplies, but you got to do this for us first. And that's on a miss. That's if you completely fail, right? So that's, that's really cool. It's a really cool system. It generates its own uh, side quest for you to go on, so that's real nice. Uh, the moves that really threw me for a loop were the quest moves, not necessarily swearing a vow to begin a quest because in the whole I would say lore of Iron Sworn is that you swear a quest or swear an iron vow which is how you uh, embark on your quests you go to somebody a problem is presented and you swear an iron vow so let's say for instance you go to community uh, or a space station or not even a space station we could even go small scale let's say you visit a restaurant and the restaurant has no employees they lost them all and uh, either they're captured by raiders or let's you could even make it more social where uh, the employees are taken by a rival restaurant just because they get paid more and the restaurant owner wants you to get their employees back through social encounters and a way to uh, make the, the competitor look bad now that was just on the top of my head okay so again, you can start really getting into the nitty-gritties of what kind of adventure you want to go on. Sounds pretty cool, right? So uh, you swear your iron vow, saying, I'm going to get those employees back for you. you swear, swear that vow. You're going to do it. Well, there you go. That's your quest. Now, that's the easy part. And then on a strong hit on that quest, you it's very clear what you need to do. Either the quest giver, that restaurant owner, gives you a clear idea of what he wants you to do he just needs the manpower to do it or it could be a weak hit where you are determined to finish that quest but uh that guy that restaurant owner doesn't give you all the details or she uh, doesn't give you all the details and so you got to figure that out on your own maybe you have to go around and ask other people in that town to see the reputation of that competitor 
and ways on which you can take them out or ways that you can swindle them out of his employees or her employees, whatever. Their employees, whatever, whatever. Okay? So, or it could be a miss where a miss is there's a huge obstacle that's in the way before you can even begin that quest. And you have to envision what stands in your way. And again, that could be a descriptor and a focus to determine that. Or you, you might even do an action or a theme. So let's let's do that, you know, right now. Roll on the action and the theme and see what happens. Uh, so the theme or the action and theme is uh, escalate hardship. So what is the obstacle in the way with those two words? Escalate hardship. Now, at first, nothing comes to my mind. But as I think about a little bit more, you know, to escalate whatever it was, you know, maybe the, the escalate hardship. Okay, here we go. Uh, escalate hardship. Uh, the employees actually really don't want to come back. And that's the huge obstacle that you got to get out of the way first. Somehow you got to figure out a way to convince them to come back because they don't want to. Either uh, the restaurant owner is a terrible owner and they don't want to come back or the benefits are terrible or the customer base is terrible and they don't want to come back. Whatever it is, uh, it just makes your job that much harder to overcome to uh, complete that quest. And again, that, that, that part was live, okay? So as you can see, and I'm not one that can come up with all these ideas on my own anyway. So I just need a little little push. And that's what the Oracles of Forge just gives you a little push on what the situation is. So now that you got the quest in mind, how do you start going about completing the quest? Again, you envision what your character does on how to do so. And at a time, you may reach a milestone. And on the quest moves, uh, the milestone is when you make headway in your quest by doing any of the following. And that is overcoming a critical obstacle, gaining some insight that's meaningful, completing a perilous expedition, a, getting a crucial item or securing a crucial resource, something along those lines, uh, learning vital support, or defeating a noble foe. So you can start to imagine, you know, what if you got into a little bit of combat or maybe you got into a social encounter that gave you some ideas to how to complete your quest. Well, that's a milestone, and then you mark progress on that uh, that vow that you made. And once you filled up enough boxes that you're comfortable with, because in order to complete a quest to fulfill your vow, it's based on those boxes. So it's kind of like an action roll, but instead of rolling an action die to get your number, it's basically the number of boxes that you fill in with your tick marks that gives you your action die. So you don't roll the d6. So let's say uh, you fill out six of the boxes, and now you think, oh, I'm ready to fulfill the vow. So you roll two of the challenge die, the two d10s, and they have to be less than six, both or one or both of them. And if you get a strong hit, well, awesome. You fulfilled your vow, you got your quest, you mark it on your character sheet on the quest track, legacy track. Uh, on a weak hit, you still mark on your quest legacy track, but there might be an additional side quest that generates out of it. So let's say you kind of complete it, but there's one more thing, or maybe there was a sidebar thing that happened that kind of complicates your quest. So now you have to swear another iron vow on top of it to make it right, to fully complete the quest, right? And then you also mark the quest one, uh, one difficulty rank lower. So if it was a dangerous uh, vow that you uh, embarked on, then it goes from a dangerous to a troublesome, so you basically get less tick marks when you complete the quest. Make sense? 
And then the same thing with quests, you know, how difficult are they? Well, that's up to you to determine whether it's troublesome, where it's no big deal, where it's dangerous, where you could get into a little bit of trouble along the way. Um, if it's formidable, I can't remember the last two. I know Epic is the last one, but anyway, anyway. So that's how quests work. That's how fulfilling your quests work. And if you feel like you can't complete this quest or it's just too much, you can forsake your vow, which is breaking the promise that you gave to that person to do what you said you were going to do. And that comes with a cost as well. It's kind of like uh, the Mandalorian with uh, his creed when he lets somebody seize his face. Um, basically, for forsook that vow, he abandoned that vow, uh, and when he was called, if he did show his face and he said yes he did, well guess what, he was no longer technically considered a Mandalorian, right? So that's just kind of a, an idea of how vows work in the, in the quest system. Uh, another move set that uh, we'll briefly just go over is the suffer moves, and this is where you, you know, lose health, lose spirit, lose supplies, or your vehicles, they lose their integrity. So these are triggered typically from other moves that you make, like uh, you're speeding along in a speeder chase and you, on a miss, it tells you to make a suffer move, or it may even tell you to make a specific suffer move. And it gives you a number like minus one, minus two, minus three. So you lose two integrity for doing that miss on that speeder chase for that just one thing. Or it could be uh, triggered just through normal play. So perhaps uh, you lose momentum in something or where you're delayed or you find that you're disadvantaged at something where you could suffer momentum. You know, minus one momentum for a minor setback, two for a series setback, minus three for a major setback. And again, it's up to you to figure out what the uh, severity is. Again, be a fan of your character. Be a fan. Uh, endure Harm is the one that uh, handles your health. Same thing. If you find yourself in a situation where you could get hurt seriously, uh, and when I say seriously, I mean it says minor harm, uh, serious harm or major harm, but something that really would physically, that you would think narratively would really, really hurt your character. And then also Endure Stress. Uh, and then your companion can take hits, uh, you know, resources, trading resources, that could be on a suffer move, and again with sand damage. So that's just a brief overview of those. But again, those are generally triggered by initial moves that you make, and not necessarily just that on the fly. At least that's how I do it. I, don't, I just don't do suffer moves, because again, be a fan of your character. All right, and then uh, connection moves, that's a really small list there. And the connection moves, again, that's just if you're wanting to uh, make an NPC that you run into to be kind of an irregular re reoccurring character or a regular recurring character. And that's up to you whether or not you want to make a connection with an NPC or not. And uh, to develop that kind of relationship is just like any of the other tracks. Uh, you assign them a difficulty of how difficult it is to uh, forge a relationship with them and to make a bond with them. It works just like the quests. Um, but uh, anyway, we'll go, go into that a little bit more, a little bit later. But uh, to develop your relationships or to gain your relationships, to progress in your relationships, uh, if you do any of the following things that's triggered, you know, if you swear a vow to someone, uh, that's a develop your relationship. So you just basically mark progress. There is no role yet, uh, but there's no role, you just mark progress on that. Or if you complete a quest that benefits them, that counts as developing the relationship with them. 
if you it says uh, leveraging their help into in desperate circumstances uh, if that's triggered if you do something like that you mark progress uh, to forming a relationship with them uh, giving them something of worth a gift that you can then mark uh, some some progress there uh, sharing a profound moment you know a lot of these are, are narrative and very subjective to you so it's if you think a certain conversation that you have with an NPC which I'll get into that too how conversation how you can make conversation with uh, yourself not really uh, but converse with other NPCs and how they react to you that, that'll be another episode but if you share a profound moment with them again that's up to you whether it's profound or not then uh, you mark progress uh, standing with them against a hardship mark progress if you overcome a test of your relationship with them mark progress Okay, so that's how you can develop your relationships with NPCs. Just doing stuff for them, just like just like in real life. It's not that hard to figure out. And then, uh, just like a quest, if you want to fulfill a quest, forge a bond is the fulfill a quest on the connection moves. Where same thing, the amount of boxes that you've filled in is your action die roll. You just roll two d10s, leave your d6 out of it, and you the numbers have to be less than the number of boxes that you've completely filled in with your tick marks. Right, and then you forge a bond. And the more bonds you forge, again, you mark it on your legacy track to help you get experience points. And that's the mechanical benefit of the game. Uh, but also, uh, the other mechanical benefit, actually, no, that's it, uh, is to mark on that, uh, that bond track. And when you develop your relationship with somebody that you've bonded with already, uh, if you get a strong hit, then you mark even more progress on your bond track so that's mechanically how it works but narratively that's where that's where the good stuff comes from okay now the test your relationship in that move is when it's tested through conflict or betrayal or just a circumstance that makes it hard or some tension between yourself and that NPC then that's a test of your relationship like in my case uh, just going on an expedition to find a frozen asteroid that apparently had some supplies for uh, a space station that had no supplies and they desperately needed it. I was on a expedition for that and one of the roles was that uh, parts of my crew were arguing with each other and that caused a hardship. And the way I dealt with the hardship triggered the tester relationship with both of the NPCs that were on my crew at the time. So uh, you roll and you could develop your relationship or it could uh, turn out to uh, be a, a test of loyalty. So then you may have to swear an iron vow or uh, or pay the price. And the pay the price is going to come up a lot and I'll cover that here in a minute. But uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what can happen. So like in, in my case, I was able to overcome my relationship with one NPC but the other one uh, didn't work out so well and it turns out the one that it didn't work out so well was also banished by the same clan that my character was in and the reason they were wanting my character to prove their loyalty was to continue to empathize with them in their struggle because they felt like I wasn't I uh, they, they felt like my character wasn't doing that with them even though they had been on the crew for you know some weeks and uh, they just felt a little jealous and they wanted to prove or make my character prove their loyalty to them just based on they came from the same clan. Right? So that's the kind of thing that can come out of you know, just NPC interactions. 
Okay, so we covered a lot on moves, uh, how they're triggered, how you go through a lot of them, uh, and combat. Again, that's going to be an episode all on its own to... Well, maybe not, since I covered it a lot. Probably. Probably cover combat. But I also skipped over exploration moves, which, again, that's a whole episode on their own on how to conduct an expedition and exploration. Whole thing on its own. So we'll close out with the last kind of a topic within the move system, which is uh, the the fate moves. Now, the fate moves are usually when you need to uh, ask the oracle something, a, a basic yes or no question. Does this person have this? Yes or no. Is this person doing this? Yes or no. Do, do pirates spot me or not? Yes or no. Uh, so oracle there, and it's, it gives you um, some odds of if it's a yes or a no. Very self-explanatory there. Uh, and then the pay the price is what you're going to see a lot. Pay the price. So it's normally it's on a miss. It'll say, oh, you, you didn't do this thing, so now you got to pay the price. So there's a couple of things that you can do when the pay the price comes up. And that is, one, you can figure out the most obvious negative outcome in a particular situation. And if you're like me and never find out the most negative consequence or the most negative thing to pay the price okay not always there's a couple of times where i could figure it out on my own but most of the time i have to ask the oracle for inspiration and you roll just like i did you know action or theme or descriptor and focus depending on the situation and figure it out that way like that escalate hardship you could use the same thing for pay the price uh for for that that quest that uh, example that we had now if all of those things fail if you can't figure anything out on your own, asking the oracle isn't giving you enough, then there's a table of some examples of pay the price. So you can roll on that table and just use that. Like for instance, um, on a pay the price, you're at that restaurant, you try to negotiate to have the employees come back, it doesn't work, and uh, the pay the price is you encounter signs of a looming threat. And whatever that is, you know, it's up to you. But even then, if you can't figure out what that looming threat is, go back to the oracle and ask the oracle what that looming threat could be. And then you can tie it all together. All right? So those are the main moves within the system. And those are the mechanical uses. Now again, do not use the moves as just a way to move, move on from one point to the next, okay? It's a very narrative game that wants you to envision what your character is doing and then trigger a move, make the action roll, figure out how that action roll turns out, interpret it. If they're in control of the situation, how do you control the scene from there? If they're just reacting to the scene or that situation after the action roll because you're not in control, well then how do they react and move on to the next narrative thing? Envision what your character does next. And as you start to envision it, then it's going to trigger one of the moves. Inevitably, it's going to happen. So don't just say, well, I'm going to go on an adventure. So I'm going to trigger an adventure move just because I can, because I need to move the story forward. So I roll on the adventure roll. Oh, I get to mark progress. Okay, mark progress. Now I immediately go to the next adventure roll and mark progress. No, that's not what that's there for. Okay, but you have to see what's going on. You have to imagine what's going on. And if you can't imagine what's going on, Guess what? Check out the oracles for a descriptor and a focus or an action or a theme. 
So action and theme, you know, it's usually a situation, a goal, or an event that's going on to kind of help you envision what's going on. And the descriptor and focus is more of uh, like a location, the nature of a discovery, those kinds of things to kind of help you figure out which table to use. All right. And I guess I should talk about the uh, legacy moves. The legacy moves are mainly for the legacy tracks on your uh, character sheet. Normally you're going to be using the advance to develop your abilities, to gain a reward. That's where you uh, use that move to spend three experience to buy a new asset or use two experience points to upgrade one of the assets that you have already. So again, uh, it could be super mechanical for this one, where you're just like, well, I just want to get this stuff now. Or it could be narrative, which I think is the better option, is to... And of course, that's the whole point of the game, is how narratively this thing happens. So let's say you want to upgrade your skills as a gunslinger, right? But what's the narrative thing that forces you or makes you improve in that skill, in that path, right? And then, you know, spend two experience points, upgrade whatever it is you want. So uh, that's the fun of it, the narrative, narrative side. Don't play just for the mechanics to move from point A to point B, okay? It's all about the journey. So the, the mechanics, or not the mechanics, the, uh, the moves are there just to help you move along the story. Okay, now that's it. That was a lot to cover. Just the move sets. That's just about all of the moves, really, and how they work and how they get triggered with some of the examples that uh, we went through with the restaurant and swearing a vow, or that cantina example on making a connection or entering combat, how that would work, uh, how to use the oracle a little bit, which we'll go into even more so in another episode to really get into how to apply the core oracles, but also the miscellaneous oracles, but also to just all the generators that are in there for names, for clans, for NPCs, for planets, for things to discover on planets, for things to discover in outer space, for uh, space stations and settlements, ruins, just about anything you can you can think of that would fit is all self-tied within, uh, within the game. So there'll be future episodes that cover those things. But until then, uh, this is Call Sign Scooter, and I'm signing out.